Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the CBS News Roundup ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This is the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Coming up. <laughs> turmoil in Israel and Gaza. I want to close my eyes and... This is, was all a nightmare. Gut-wrenching stories of loss. This woman came in and she said to us, your son was killed today. And support. Hamas should be destroyed. On both sides. I am Jewish and I am ashamed of what Israel is doing to the people of Palestine. Hello, I'm Stacey Lynn in Washington. Allison is off. It's been one week since Hamas attacked Israel. This attack uh, was uh, a campaign of pure cruelty. Not not just hate, but pure cruelty against the Jewish people. President Biden called it the deadliest day for Jews since the Holocaust. We begin with CBS's Holly Williams in Tel Aviv. While interviewing rescue workers in southern Israel, The air raid alarm sent us running for cover. In areas close to the Gaza Strip, where Hamas militants have their base, rockets take just seconds to hit. Jacob Landau is a dual US-Israeli citizen who's come here from Brooklyn, New York, to help recover bodies from the communities where Hamas gunmen went on a killing spree. I can see how painful this is for you. It's, it's, not, it's not me. It's painful for, for our country, for our people. It's not a personal thing. It's all of us. It's all of us. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu vowed to crush and destroy Hamas. Saying every one of its members is a dead man. Hamas says it has over a hundred hostages, including children, and amongst them are Americans. Hamas has threatened to kill those hostages, to kill one of them every time Israel bombs Palestinian civilians without warning. Do you believe them? I think that it's entirely possible. Israel is facing a painful conundrum because it's difficult to see how on the one hand it'll be able to punish Hamas militarily and on the other hand bring all of those hostages home alive. Now to Jerusalem and CBS's Heli Ott. Those who survived Hamas's brutal attack on Israel wish they could turn back time. I want to close my eyes and this is, was all a nightmare. Yifat Zeiler believes six of her family members are being held hostage in Gaza. There's a nine-month baby and a three-year-old child, and my aunt has Parkinson's disease. 
I want them back. Some survivors are finding social media videos showing their loved ones being captured by Hamas. It was so hard to watch. 21-year-old Gaia Calderon says it's heart-wrenching to see her 12-year-old brother Amit being taken. She's missing four other family members too and says she has no tears left. I can't cry because I, I cried so much. Moran Aloni lives just south of Tel Aviv. His two sisters, three nieces, and his brother-in-law are also missing in Israel. He told CBS News. She just uh, messaged me saying, help, we're dying. And that was the last time that I heard from her. Terrorists had stormed their home last weekend. This was an army people that are looking in a very methodic way to kill and kidnap civilians. There are plenty of stories of survival. Here's CBS's Nora O'Donnell. Miri Masika tells us her family barely survived. Do you have any clothes with you? Any belongings? Nothing. Her home on a kibbutz three miles from Gaza, raided by Hamas militants and set on fire. What do you think would have happened to you and your family if you had stayed in your apartment? Burned to death. Instead, Miri, her husband, and their three children escaped from the second floor window. When did you decide that you had to jump? We couldn't uh, breathe because of the smoke and because of the gas. Imtiaz Tayab is in Tel Aviv. We've been speaking to survivors who went to that music festival, people who were dancing uh, with their friends only to find themselves being attacked by Hamas. We heard the bullets like... One of the people that we spoke to said that he had been lying for hours in a pool of blood desperate for help until rescue workers found him. It was really sure after the guy that came, the terrorists, they take, us, they take our phone, that that's it, I'm going to die. And I told my parents, like, all good, I'm, I'm okay. But when I told them that, I was with both my legs, like, popped out. Israel retaliated with airstrikes. They insist they're bombing Hamas targets only in Gaza. But Dr. Ghassan Abu Sitta, who works in Gaza's largest trauma hospital, would disagree. I had to take this six or seven year old child, a young, beautiful young girl to the operating room with horrific facial injuries. Her mother, who's also a doctor at Shiva Hospital, had been killed. My last patient, half of his face was missing. He was around 10 or 11. He says the hospital is filled to capacity. The beds are full with patients who have been injured and the continuous stream of, of injuries has not stopped. Back here in the United States, rallies all across the country showing support for Israel and for the Palestinians. Outside the Israeli consulate in downtown San Francisco, dueling demonstrators faced off. The pro-Palestinian rally called all out for Palestine. I am Jewish and I am ashamed of what Israel is doing to the people of Palestine. El Cerrito resident Seth Morrison held a sign that read Jews for Palestinian liberation. Impassioned protesters carrying signs and flags on both sides yelled free Palestine and free Israel. You know, violence won't solve anything. But when a people are oppressed, when they're held in the conditions of Gaza, like they're in prison, how can you blame them? The Palestinians are going to rise up, and you cannot expect them 
to sit on their hands. San Francisco resident Jay Connor said he wanted to show support for his Jewish friends. It's abhorrent. It's terrible. There's no reason why anyone who should be out vacationing, having a party, should have to be kidnapped, hostage, raped, and murdered, and beaten. It's just shocking. And it's the fact that we're still even arguing Jewish um, existence in 2023 is pretty shocking to me. Our Jewish tradition is one of peace. It's one of coexistence. And we will only have peace when we respect the rights of all human beings. Coming up, chaos on Capitol Hill. Still no House Speaker and... I just share with my colleagues that I'm withdrawing my name. Majority Leader Steve Scalise pulls out. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now... New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Stacey Lynn. The House Speaker's seat is still empty. Congress is at a standstill. And their nominee, Majority Leader Steve Scalise, has pulled out of the race. It's been quite a journey, uh, and there's still a long way to go. Uh, I just share with my colleagues that I'm withdrawing my name as a candidate for the Speaker designee. This House of Representatives needs a Speaker, and we need to open up the House again. But clearly, not everybody is there, and there's still schisms that have to get resolved. So what now? CBS's Scott McFarlane is on Capitol Hill. As abrupt as this announcement was, it isn't a gallivanting surprise. When he won his party's nomination, it was by such a narrow margin. He had secured 113 of the 200-plus Republicans to go on the floor and be the nominee. But he needed 217 to win the actual speakership. And those others inside his party, despite party rules requiring them to get behind their party's nominee, just wouldn't do so. They had any number of grievances from different factions of the party, moderates, conservatives, those who deposed Kevin McCarthy, those who did not. He just couldn't, with one silver bullet, get everybody back, solve all these problems. And he recognizes there was no way to get there. And it's not clear to anybody here in the Republican conference or those chronicling this, who can get 217 votes at this moment. It adds urgency, but clearly not a sufficient urgency to make this happen. I mean, there are members of both parties who are chomping at the bit to pass a formal resolution denouncing the attack on Israel. It is a big statement on the world stage, even though it's just a statement. They all want to make it, and they can't because the House is paralyzed. There's an acknowledgement here that they're going to need to ready some federal aid to Israel, financial aid, maybe aid to get munitions to Israel. They can't do that while the House is paralyzed. 
they can't do anything on the House floor other than hit a gavel and gavel it back closed again until there's a speaker. There's just a disorientation in Congress. We'll stay on Capitol Hill, where Congressman George Santos has been indicted by the Department of Justice for a second time on new allegations of credit card fraud, aggravated identity theft, and conspiracy. He says he'll fight them until the bitter end. Here's what he told CBS's Nicole Killian. You're all acting like I'm not entitled to due process and innocent well, until proven guilty. Next I'm nothing. I mean, I'm just going to go defend myself. Have a court day on August 20, uh, October 27, and then there's probably going to be something else scheduled for that. I, I'm entitled to due process. I'm going to go defend myself. You know, one thing I also asked him is whether or not he believes that these additional charges came in light of his former treasurer, Nancy Marks, who uh, recently reached a plea deal, and he does feel that uh, this may uh, be why he is looking at additional charges. Now, he continued to deny some of these charges, new charges against him, including, uh, you know, using the identities of family members and some of his donors to inflate his campaign finance reports, but also worth mentioning uh, that not only is he under federal investigation, but also there's an ethics investigation that's still ongoing here on Capitol Hill. The government has announced an increase for Social Security recipients, but it's not a big one. Bankrate.com senior economic analyst Mark Hamrick. Social Security recipients will get a lower cost of living increase for 2024, coming in at 3.2 percent. That's compared to the exceptionally high increases of 8.7 percent that took effect early this year and 5.9 percent in the previous year. But 3.2 percent is closer to historical norms as inflation has come down from its peak. New Mexico is testing the high court's most recent Second Amendment ruling. Legal analyst Thane Rosenbaum has details. The Supreme Court's most recent gun restriction case out of New York ruled that unless you can show a historical tradition of gun laws in the United States dating back to the 19th century, a state can't just outlaw the carrying of guns even if they're concealed. But the court also ruled that states still have a compelling state interest in banning guns in certain public places like schools and courthouses. New Mexico is testing whether parks and playgrounds can be gun-free, consistent with the Supreme Court's most recent ruling on the Second Amendment. Yet the court recognized that guns can be banned in certain public places. A number of Democratic-led states are now trying to test the limits of that ruling, specifically, what are those public places? The criminal fraud trial of cryptocurrency billionaire Sam Bankman-Fried took a dramatic turn this week. His ex-girlfriend and a former top exec, Caroline Ellison, told the court he ordered her to defraud customers of his failed cryptocurrency exchange. Our Errol Barnett was in the courthouse. Caroline Ellison arrived at federal court with highly anticipated testimony against ex-boyfriend Sam Bankman-Fried. What do you have to say to Sam? Bankman-Fried's on-and-off-again girlfriend was also the chief executive of Alameda Research, the sister company of FTX, Bankman-Fried's crypto trading exchange. When FTX collapsed in November due to a lack of available client funds, Ellison and Alameda also came under fierce scrutiny. She is someone who was intimately connected to Sam Bankman-Fried 
During her testimony, Ellison said Bankman-Fried instructed her to withdraw around $14 billion from FTX customer funds to finance Alameda Research investments and loan repayments. She also says more than $40 million went to political campaigns. Only some of this money was repaid. According to her, knew exactly what he was doing when he was using other people's money for his own needs. Bankman-Fried has pleaded not guilty and denied those claims in an interview with Andrew Ross Sorkin of the New York Times right after FDX filed for bankruptcy. I wasn't trying to commingle funds. Ellison, like two other witnesses, pleaded guilty to fraud and conspiracy and testified after cooperating with prosecutors. But this trial could have long-term effects for the cryptocurrency industry. Now to the strikes affecting two big industries. The United Auto Workers has expanded its strike against Detroit's big three automakers, now targeting the most profitable Ford plant in the world, a truck plant in Louisville. UAW President Sean Fain in a video posted to social media said, We've been very patient working with the company on this. At the end of the day, uh, they have not met expectations. They're not even coming to the table on it. So at this point, we uh, had to take action. 8,700 workers are now off the job there. Ford called the strike expansion grossly irresponsible. Meanwhile, talks between Hollywood studios and actors have broken down. In a statement after negotiations wrapped up Wednesday, the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers said the gap between the two sides is too great. The group said conversations are no longer moving us in a productive direction. In an email to its members, the union, SAG-AFTRA, said the studios walked away from the bargaining table after refusing to counter its latest offer. Christopher Cruz, CBS News. Up next, RSV season is here, but some doctors are facing challenges getting a hold of a shot that can help protect young children. Oh, we're angry. <laughs> As pediatricians, we're angry because it feels like we have an opportunity that may be missed. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Welcome back to the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Stacey Lynn. It's RSV season, and while there's a new shot that could help lessen the number of cases, it's not readily available, and that's a problem. Molly Fleener is due in December. Her second daughter will be born during the peak of RSV season. RSV can be very scary. With It can take a turn really quickly. This new Bay Fortis RSV antibody shot is bringing hope. It helps prevent the virus in babies from birth to eight months or in older babies with severe risk factors. Hey, am I going to get a smile from you? But some pediatricians are facing challenges getting supply. Dr. Lauren Fitzpatrick is with Luminous Health Anne Arundel Medical Center in Maryland. There was not an infrastructure in place to roll out monoclonal antibodies. And so even though we have families that are requesting it, we can't meet their demands. A big complication right now, the cost at nearly $500 a dose. While the shot is expected to be covered by most insurance plans, providers need to order the shot before knowing how much they'll be reimbursed. Given what you saw last year, how frustrating is this? Oh, we're angry. <laughs> As pediatricians, we're angry because it feels like we have an opportunity that may be missed. This summer, the American Academy of Pediatrics urged federal leaders to provide support so the shots can be administered widely and equitably. It shouldn't be a guessing game. It should be pretty black and white and should be accessible and available to as many people possible, if not everybody. Molly Fleener will also be eligible for the new RSV vaccine for pregnant women. 
Doctors are recommending either that shot for mom or the immunization for the newborn. Fleener is deciding between the two, but knows she wants the protection. Natalie Brand, CBS News, Maryland. A big warning about non-melanoma skin cancer. Here's correspondent Michael George. Non-melanoma skin cancer is killing more people than melanoma, according to a study presented at the European Academy of Dermatology and Venereology. Though melanoma is more deadly, non-melanoma is significantly more prevalent, causing 78% of all skin cancers. Using data from the World Health Organization, researchers found in 2020 more than 63,000 deaths were from non-melanoma skin cancer and 57,000 from melanoma. By the year 2050, strokes could cause nearly 10 million deaths every year. Unless urgent action is taken, the number of people who die from stroke globally is estimated to increase by 50 percent by 2050 to 9.7 million deaths a year. So says study author Dr. Sheila Martins, who's a neurologist and president of the World Stroke Organization. She says with exercise, you can reduce risk of stroke by 36 percent, healthy eating by 25 percent. Hypertension, that is the main risk factor for stroke. A normal blood pressure, we can cut in half the stroke cases. She says it's up to policymakers to tackle the problem and that things like free medication could make a big difference in outcomes in poorer countries. Matt Piper, CBS News. Our air quality has been just awful this year, and wildfire smoke is just part of the problem. Much of the country has experienced horrible air quality this year because of the Canadian wildfires. I can breathe. A little worried about what they're breathing up today. It's not just the particles from smoke creating pollution, but new research shows there's also an invisible pollution problem, ozone. When ozone is up in the atmosphere, it filters out the sun's harmful ultraviolet rays. When it reaches the ground, it's not healthy for humans. Wildfires, cars, and industry can increase ozone, Levels fell during the pandemic when people drove less, but now experts say more traffic and fire smoke have made air quality worse. Steve Kathan, CBS News. Our mental health is just as important as our physical health. We're all busy with work and families and bills and chores. It can be really hard to take a moment for yourself. CBS's Ian Lee on a campaign out of the UK that urges people to do just that. Wrangling two-year-old Cole takes all of Daryl Baker's attention. As you can imagine, finding time for herself is hard. I have felt like sometimes you are drowning when you become a, when I became a mum. Then Daryl took a moment. Just closing your eyes and, and shutting the noise out. Laura Jorno-Leggett and Ray Burmiston created the campaign during the dark days of COVID. It's that moment we all need in the everyday. Close your eyes. Disconnect, reconnect, and come back to the room. Encouraging people to stop, close their eyes for a little self-care. People who've literally said, I know, you saved my life. Like, I was going to do something today and I'm no longer going to do it. That's how powerful it can be. It was like someone, someone threw a life jacket in, being reminded to not lose myself. It changes everything. It changes your outlook. It changes how you parent. I think you're more present. Because no one is immune from mental health issues, Everyone is encouraged to stop and take a moment. Ian Lee, CBS News, London. California now has a new tool to help find missing black youth. CBS Sacramento's Marley Ginter reports. 
Amber Alerts have been around for two decades, and since that time, more than 370 children and at-risk individuals have been located. Time is of the essence when it comes to an actual alert. But some critics say African Americans are often overlooked by the notification system. You see the difference of when um, white girls go missing and um, black girls go missing. The sense of urgency is not there. African Americans, whether they're children or young adults, are often listed as runaways. State Senator Stephen Bradford is the author of a new law that creates ebony alerts for a community disproportionately impacted by missing youth. African-American young individuals make up almost 40% of those individuals who come up missing. Barry Axius with Voice of the Youth says many young women who vanish end up being victims of sex trafficking. Here in Sacramento especially, a lot of our girls get exploited. In addition to Amber Alerts, California also has Blue Alerts for suspects who attack a law enforcement officer, Silver Alerts for missing seniors and people with disabilities, and Feather Alerts for missing indigenous people. So how is an ebony alert different expanding the age from 12 to 25 because right now a amber alert is for 17 years or younger black youth considered at risk or with mental or physical challenges will qualify with this the attention the need the urgency i feel will be met and you know what's going to be a game changer now the chp and office of emergency services will now work on getting the program started and the alert system takes effect january 1st of next year and finally, switching gears, there have been 35 consecutive drawings without a big Powerball winner, but that has come to an end. A very lucky person holds the winning ticket matching all the numbers. That person bought it at Midway Market and Liquor in Fraser Park, California. The jackpot was worth almost $2 billion. The manager at the store is shocked. Every day people come in every day and buy their tickets, like going to church. You know, it's this is crazy crazy and lucky indeed. Coming up on this week's Kaleidoscope, black women are less likely to be diagnosed with breast cancer than white women, but are about 40% more likely to die from the disease. The statistic is striking. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Stacey Lynn. It's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and in today's Kaleidoscope, we're going to dig deeper into the disparities between black women and white women when it comes to this disease. Researchers are working to better understand why these disparities even exist. Dr. Vivian B. is one of those researchers. She's the Section Chief of Breast Surgical Oncology at New York Presbyterian Brooklyn Methodist Hospital and a breast surgeon at Will Cornell Medicine. Thanks so much for joining us today. Today, Dr. B. Thank you for having me. According to the American Cancer Society, black women are less likely to be diagnosed with breast cancer than white women. But black women are about 40% more likely to die from the disease. Is this because of genetics or lack of healthcare access, maybe a combo of things? 
Yeah, you know, the statistic is striking. And as you've said, Black women are slightly less likely to be diagnosed with a breast cancer diagnosis compared to white women, but uh, 40% higher mortality to die from a breast cancer diagnosis. And this this disparity, as we call it, is striking, and it's due to multi-factors. So it's multifactorial. Some of those factors you've mentioned already. So genetics, we know that Black women are twice as likely to have uh, triple negative breast cancer, which is a more aggressive breast cancer subtype, and it pretends a worse prognosis. And we look at sort of African ancestry and and sort of, you know, dated all the way back to the genetic makeup and, and sort of why Black women are more likely to have triple negative breast cancer is attributed to, to this. You can say, so what? What does that mean? Well, unfortunately, for triple negative breast cancer, because it's more aggressive, you would think that that in order to treat it, there should be a more aggressive uh, treatment. And there is a more aggressive treatment. It's just not as good as some of the other subtypes. Clinical trials are of huge importance, obviously, for trying to find a treatment or a cure for any disease. Is there a disparity there as well? There really are some fundamental and foundational issues that exist with clinical trials and the historical aspect that exists for Black Americans. We also know that there is systemic racism um, that still exists within healthcare systems. And as a result, there's bias and other factors that contribute to lack of access to clinical trials and thus representation in these clinical trials that could be then informative to the disease processes that we see in different populations. Let's talk about mammograms. How often should women get them? Should Black women get screened sooner? What are the guidelines now? Now, there are different societies that have different guidelines. I will tell you that most breast cancer experts agree with the guidelines that say start at the age of 40, at least for average risk women, and continue yearly. But here's another statistic to know. Black women are twice as likely to be diagnosed with breast cancer before the age of 45. So, and even younger for 35. And so if a Black woman is diagnosed with breast cancer, even before the age of 40, because the guidelines don't support it and insurance companies push back. and, And so they're at a disadvantage. And so Now, what we are saying, the American College of Radiology, um, for one, as as well as the American Society of Breast Surgeons, agree that all women should have a risk assessment starting at the age of 25. Now, that's new. And, and you know, people say, well, what is a risk assessment and how do I get access to that? And that's, that's really all people should have a risk assessment at the age of 25 to determine whether they're average risk or whether they're high risk. Um, And I will tell you that as breast uh, disparities experts, we say black women are high risk and um, and should should have that that risk assessment and should be offered earlier screening. But you mentioned that blowback from insurance companies. Is that an excuse that now some women will give for not getting their mammogram? If it's not covered, I'm not going to be able to pay for it. Absolutely. It's ridiculous to be, you know, quite frank. And I have to I have to fight with insurance companies to get that approved. And it do, it is discouraging to prove to insurance companies what has already been established. I think when we talk about how do we address disparities while there are multiple factors, that's a that's a clear factor that we need to uh, address with insurance companies and policies that really cover um, screening for for women who are identified as being high risk. If they're not aware that 
there are these guidelines that exist that they should have a, that they should have a risk assessment at the age of 25. That's also um, a barrier. So we have to provide education. We have to, you know, use outlets like this to really drive home uh, the point that all women should have a risk assessment at age 25. And if you're found to be high risk, then seek a breast specialist um, who may be in 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 um, a position to really, you know, help get the the screening that is needed. And Dr. B, I think I read that statistics show that Black women are less inclined to follow up after a mammogram as well. Why is that? Is there a mental aspect too? Is there something else that goes along with that? So mammography screening, it's complex. There has been research that does show that Black women are getting their mammograms. However, they may not be getting them consecutively. So meaning every year, may skip a year, uh, may skip a couple of years and then go get their mammogram. So that is an issue. That's that's something that we you know have to address. The other point is that there is uh, research that supports not all uh, women and Black women in particular have access to the 3D mammograms, which have better sensitivity to detecting breast tumors. We have to address why that barrier to access to sort of the more top-notch screening modalities are not available for all. Well, obviously, it's quite traumatic when you do go get your mammogram and then you get the dreaded call after that, yes, in fact, they saw something. Maybe you do, in fact, have breast cancer. What next? You know, that is a great question. And when someone gets a call that they are now diagnosed with breast cancer, they're sort of thrown into this dark tunnel. And and that's so unfortunate. And so the steps to, to take are to take a breath. Although I've gone through the statistics for for breast cancer, it is treatable. Treatment has progressed, but having access to treatment really, you know, is 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 pivotal. So the the main take home is really finding and having access to a quality multidisciplinary breast cancer program that has all of the disciplines: surgery, medical oncology, radiation, genetic testing, clinical trial access absolutely key. Um, navigation support, do your research and make sure that you're being treated at a top quality multidisciplinary breast program. I like that you first said, take a deep breath. Extremely important information, not just for Breast Cancer Awareness Month, but for every month. Dr. Vivian B., appreciate you joining us today and your expertise. Thank you. Coming up, with more and more states legalizing pot, some people are heading back to the classroom for a cannabis boot camp. We'd love for you to follow us on X. We've got headlines at CBS News Radio. And I'm tweeting at Stacey Lynn News. This is the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Stacey Lynn. Recreational pot is legal now in 23 states and Washington, D.C. The market is worth $64 billion. And of course, that means a lot of people want to get in on the game and the growing. CBS Minnesota's Caroline Cummings is heading back to the classroom for a cannabis boot camp. People came prepared with notebooks and textbooks. Uh, But make sure you're keeping this in mind. It's just one example of what the Minnesota Cannabis College wants to offer Minnesota ready to grow their own business in the next few years. President Tanner Barris led the course Monday night. We're starting to get a basic framework of what businesses might be able to look like in the state here. So we're trying to provide any training we can to help support people who want to become part of that. 
Ferris says more classes are coming online, like business management, cannabis cultivation, and cannabis extraction. The Minnesota Cannabis College also has job assistance to help connect people to jobs in the industry. No, it's not an accredited university. Cannabis is not really a gateway drug, but it is that gateway drug to agriculture. It's a nonprofit, but Barris says it's meeting the moment now that marijuana got the green light this year, and interest is high. Been having people calling us pretty much every hour of the day asking, hey, I want to become part of this industry. I want to start a business. I'm looking for a job. And it's really been sort of us trying to be able to meet that demand. Here's something else giving the economy a boost. Birkenstock is now trading on the New York Stock Exchange. Business reporter Jason Brooks has the story. The iconic sandal maker has been one of the most highly anticipated IPOs in 2023 by investors after Barbie actress Margot Robbie wore a pair of rose Birkenstock leather sandals in the movie, sparking big demand for the company's footwear as the movie has been the biggest box office hit of 2023. Birkenstock says women make up about three out of four of its customers. The 250-year-old German brand priced its stock at $46, giving it an initial valuation near $9 billion. Pepsi is also making a whole lot of money these days by raising prices. While fewer Americans are grabbing that can of Pepsi, the company's third quarter revenue rose 7%, while sales volume fell more than 2%. The company's profits are up as it continues to raise prices, up 11% in the July-September period. It was the seventh straight quarter that PepsiCo has implemented double-digit price hikes. The company's 23 brands also include Frito-Lay, Lipton Tea, Gatorade, and Quaker Foods. Jim Crisula, CBS News. Oh man, the happiest place on on Earth is also getting more expensive. Disney World has announced that it's raising its annual passholder prices. For the top tier, you can expect to pay about $50 more per year. For the other tiers, prices have gone up between $30 and $50 per year. Luckily, there are no price hikes on daily admission tickets, but you will pay $5 more for parking. Its parking charges will now match SeaWorld Orlando and Universal Studios. Jen Clark, CBS News. You know what else is costing you a lot? Being back in the office full time. That's according to the State of Work report by video conferencing company Owl Labs. Take this job and shove it. 66% of employees have returned to the office five days a week, and their wallets are lighter because of it. Workers are spending on average 13 bucks on breakfast and coffee, $16 on lunch, and 22 on commuting and parking. That's $51 per day. And if you have pets, you're spending even more because Fido needs to go out. In all, getting back to work full-time is costing people over $1,000 every month. To compare, hybrid workers are spending a little over $400 a month on office stuff. Well, all this money talk is making me thirsty. Beer. The world's third most widely consumed beverage after water and tea. Europeans have been brewing it for 5,000 years and still grow close to 90% of the world's hops. But researchers writing in the British journal Nature say global warming means the European hops harvest is starting ever earlier, the yields are getting smaller, and the chemical content of the crops less diverse. They say growers need to change how and where they grow their crops to protect the quantity and the quality of future harvests. Vicki Barker, CBS News, London. Well, Halloween is just around the corner, you'll likely shell out a lot of dough on a costume, but some families can't afford them. CBS Pittsburgh's Jessica Gway with the story of a couple who collect costumes for kids in need as a way to honor their late daughter. Emma Munson was a 19-year-old with a flair for life. She loved to act and sing 
and she cared about the environment. She was very compassionate. She was an artist, and everybody who met her just felt like she was extremely accepting, and she was just incredible. Emma died tragically on October 6, 2013, while she was a freshman art student at VCU in Richmond, Virginia. When she passed away, we just thought, you know, her goal in life was to change the world. Denise and Michael Munson took their daughter's inspirations and started a 501c3 nonprofit called the Emma Munson Foundation. Every year, they collect new and used Halloween costumes to give to kids so they can dress up as anything they'd like, whether that's their favorite superhero or a scary character. Sometimes it takes three or four or five costumes to get the right one, but they, um, they walk away just feeling special, feeling great, feeling invincible. Meanwhile, the National Retail Federation expects we will collectively spend a record $12.2 billion on Halloween candy this year. The International Sugar Organization says six of the top 10 sugar-producing countries have dealt with extreme weather, blamed for a 42% increase in prices per pound. Among them, Thailand, which has been dealing with extreme drought, and the U.S., India, and Europe, which have all suffered extreme flooding. But it hasn't stopped American consumers from going all out for the 31st. The National Retail Federation expects a record $12.2 billion in spending on Halloween candy, or about $108 per person. That's up from an even 100 last year. Deborah Rodriguez, CBS News. Well, if your kids need something to put all that candy in, McDonald's is back with trick-or-treat boo buckets. Starting Tuesday, they can choose the perfect scary pail, a green monster, orange skeleton, white mummy, or new this year, a purple vampire. The festive buckets were first introduced back in 1986. Nice. You need to get on it now, though. These things are hot and sell out super fast every year. Finally, the Pumpkin Spice Latte just celebrated its 20th birthday. That's PSL for anyone who hasn't been living under a rock for the past, like, 20 years. To honor the occasion, Starbucks is giving PSL fanatics the chance to buy a limited edition PSL Varsity Jacket. Oh yes, it's as tacky as it sounds, decked out in fall colors with patches of leaves on the sleeves and the Starbucks logo. And naturally, PSL is emblazoned on the back. That is going to do it for the Weekend Roundup. Thank you so much for listening. The show is always on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. We want to get your feedback, too. You can drop us a line at weekendroundup at cbsnews.com. Let us know where and how you're listening. The Weekend Roundup is produced at the CBS News Washington Bureau. Sarah Fishman is the technical supervisor. Alan Peng provides production assistance. And Tara Lipinski is the executive producer. Hope you have a great weekend. I'm Stacy Lynn, CBS News. If you like CBS News Roundup, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most-watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. Survivor's back, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.